Hey church, welcome to Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Cody Mahaffey and I'm the connections and group pastor here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So our mission here is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help draw you near to the person of Jesus. Be challenged and encouraged by his word and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you really are in him. Well, hey, good morning, Frontline. It's just good to see all of you. If you're here joining in the room, it's also good to have you if you're joining and watching online. Uh, Like Amanda mentioned, today we get to celebrate baptism. Uh, It's going to be an awesome time in the service here right after the sermon that we're going to celebrate. And I'm going to ask you to make a decision today, whether you've been following Jesus for a long time, whether you've been following him for 10 minutes, maybe you've never followed him before. I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a decision. But before that, I want to tell you a story. Uh, And the story goes like this. A couple weeks ago, I won the lottery. It was awesome. Not that lottery, though. The jury duty lottery. I won that one, and uh, the prize was awful. It was not good. I had to drive downtown to Grand Rapids, uh, parked, jumped on the bus, took it to the courthouse, walked in. And so I was in there with probably 150, 200 other people, and they came out all excitedly, right? Because, you know, all of us aren't feeling excited. And they said, guess what? Today we need five juries, and you get to do your civic duty And uh, I found out that meant we're paying you $24 for spending the day with us, which was not an encouraging, it kind of makes you wonder like if people would convict other people less if they paid more. Anyway, stuff you think about when you're sitting in a courthouse. Uh, But I remember I I got selected for one of these five juries that got called up. So 40 people, that's the name that you get called. So you walk into the jury and they have to limit that 40 down to 12. Those 12 decide the fate of whatever defendant or whatever lawsuit is currently at play. So I I walked in, they called my name on the third round. I walked upstairs, uh, walked into the courtroom, and it's a scene that looks like this. A lot of you probably have seen this before, whether you've watched TV, you've seen a courtroom, maybe you've seen a real courtroom, maybe you've been in a courtroom as the plaintiff or the defendant. But a couple of things I noticed when I walked in for the first time, uh, I walked in and the defendant was sitting there all by himself, just sitting there. No family, no friends. Uh, His lawyer was sitting next to him. They weren't talking. They weren't communicating very much. They just sat next to each other. On the opposite table was the prosecuting attorney, as well as a police officer, a deputy that was sitting next to her. And so it was the four of them, a judge, a couple clerks, and then the rest of us just waiting to see what's happening, waiting to see if we're going to be a part of this, if we're not going to be a part of this. They tell us very little information. But what, what I was very aware of uh, all of a sudden is stuff that, you know, maybe all of us would be aware of, the Fifth Amendment, right, the, the right against self-incrimination, or if you ever get arrested, you're, you're read Miranda rights, you have the right to remain silent. This man, sitting in the defendant's chair, said nothing. The entire time I was in there, the entire hour and a half, this whole jury selection process, the only thing that was shared with us were the charges that he was being brought with, but he never said a word, not one thing. His lawyer talked on his behalf. I mean, you could tell, like, there's not a deep relationship there. The guy, the, the lawyer struggled to pronounce his name, and it wasn't even that difficult. You just go, man, this, this guy's all alone, but the one thing that he was instructed to do is to say nothing. In a court of law, I mean, what, what he was told is confess nothing. 
You just sit there. You just be quiet. You let us do our part. Let us do our thing. Let this thing shake out and see what happens. And honestly, the reason this bugged me or the reason I, I sat with this and thought about this uh, extensively was I think that's what we've learned to do as a people. Confess nothing. Share nothing. Admit nothing, own nothing, especially out loud, say nothing. If there's something that you did, a wrong that you have committed, a law that you have broken, a sin that you've done against someone else, our culture, our even legal system is built on not saying anything. The reason why I think we're taught that and the reason why I think that's natural for so many of us is because as soon as we admit something or confess something, as soon as we do that, we are powerless to dictate our own ending. We're no longer in the driver's seat for writing the narrative or telling the story. Once it's said, it's out. Once it's written, it's done. Once it's posted online, it is there permanently. And so what we've learned is that if we confess, we'll end up being condemned. So we don't confess, we don't share, we don't admit, we keep it to ourselves. But here, here's the problem is when you don't confess or speak or talk, uh, it, it binds you forever. It's like a weight that you carry around, a ball and chain or handcuffs or however metaphor works for you. When we don't confess, we actually don't experience what God intends to give us this entire time, which is actually forgiveness. God wants to take these wrongs and these sins and this brokenness that we carry as a people. God wants to take that and actually give us a gift through that. It's the gift of freedom and the gift of forgiveness. But what if I told you the only way to truly accept that, to truly realize it, to truly experience the greatest gift that God's ever given humanity, what if I told you the only way to experience that is through confession? Would you be interested in confession? Jesus' disciples followed him for three and a half years, and towards the end of their journey with Jesus, it says there was one day that they came up to Jesus and they said, can you please teach us how to pray? Because you pray different. Like we see you in God and your prayers, God answers your prayers and he speaks through you and he moves through you. Like your prayers shake the foundations of the world. Can you teach us how to do that, Jesus? And Jesus, of course, lovingly and probably just jokingly, sarcastically, you know, I, I don't know, whatever his demeanor was, he says, of course, I'd love to teach you. So here's how Jesus actually teaches his disciples how to pray. And Brian said this last week. He said, we call it the Lord's Prayer, but a better name for it actually would be the Disciples' Prayer. This is how we ought to pray. So Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. This is a prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, knowing full well that if they pray this prayer, if it, if it comes from a place deep within their own hearts and souls and minds, deep from a place of desire, longing for these things, these truths to be evident in their own lives, Jesus knows that this prayer leads them to the presence of Jesus himself. 
And so it's why we, we still have it today. It's why Jesus instructed his followers to still pray this prayer. So in this series that we're in right now, we're working through each of these little lines because there's so much significance in every word that Jesus uses in this prayer. But today our focus is gonna be this, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The two words that jump out to me when I read this is forgive and debt. Now, you might notice the reference here at the bottom, it says Matthew chapter six, verse nine to 13. Matthew was one of the followers of Jesus and Matthew's occupation was a tax collector. They're like tax collectors, like modern day IRS agent. That was one of the guys that Jesus went, you, why don't you come follow me? Matthew's writing what Jesus is saying. And I can almost picture Jesus winking at Matthew as soon as he starts talking about debts and forgiveness. Like, I know you know what I mean. I got you. Here's what these words mean, right? If we actually define these, this first one here, this means debt. In Greek, it's ophelemata. Ophelemata, this word means something which is owed, due, or an obligation to pay. This is something we're familiar with in our culture. We know what this means in our context. This is a mortgage. This is a, a loan. This is a car payment. This is a debt that is owed that must be repaid. Jesus uses a marketplace term. He uses a word that they would all understand, just like he uses a word that we all understand, debt. Jesus uses a word that we all get to ascribe a spiritual significance. What Jesus is saying is that when we approach God the Father in his might, in his glory, in his perfection, and in his purity, what we bring is not assets to the equation. We bring liabilities. Matthew's saying what we bring is debt. Like you carry a mortgage, you also carry a ledger of your sin, of your brokenness, of your wrongdoing. We bring that to the table between us and God. But then the second word he uses is forgive, afes or afis, however you say it. It means to cancel, to forgive, to pardon, or to release from legal or moral consequence. When Jesus says, forgive us our debts, what he is saying is, Lord, wipe them clean. Start over blank page. Bring that balance, that negative balance. If you're a spreadsheet person, it's the red number in parentheses on your sheet that says, this is what you owe. Spiritually speaking, this is what we bring to God. And it says, this is what you owe. There's a consequence for your sin. There is debt that has been accumulated and it must be paid. God is a holy God, a righteous God, a perfect God, and it must be paid. But the word forgive means I take that debt, I pay it on your behalf, and you are now wiped clean. It's a do-over. It's a restart. It's a new life. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray this prayer. As we bring our debts, God, forgive us but also forgive those who have a debt against us. I mean, if you think about the preposterousness of this claim, this doesn't work in any other area of our society. For those of you that have a mortgage right now or a car payment, I mean, here's a challenge for you, okay? Call them up tomorrow. And so I was reading my Bible and what my pastor said is Jesus forgives sins. Do you also do that with mortgages? See what happens. Try it, right? It's a joke. It's funny. Like, you know, they're, they're going to say, no, good for your pastor and good for Jesus. We don't work that way. <laughs> God does something different. He takes our debt. He takes our liabilities. He takes our sin. And he provides a way for us to actually pay that so that we might have access to him. 
And Jesus builds it into this prayer that he teaches his disciples to pray. So if you take it, you know, even half of a line at a time, here's the first part, and forgive us our debts. We love this part of the prayer. It's so easy for us to pray, is it not? All of us walked in with something today. We have a debt, we have a sin, we have something secret, we have something we haven't confessed or haven't owned. We have something deep in our lives. It is so easy to go, God, you're a merciful God, full of grace, never-ending well. Like you just give and give and I receive, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for wiping my debt clean. Here's what's true. That is true. God does forgive when we confess, when we repent, when we turn away from our sin and we say, God, this is what I did and confess it to him. He says, I will forgive you. Here's the part that the rest of us hate is the second part. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, if you read this the way that I did for many years of my life, it's almost like putting them next to each other and we go, God, you forgive us and then we'll try to forgive those that wrong us as well. That's not actually how it's written. In the Greek, the actual word that's used for as, right? The actual word is has. And one of the translations of has is as long as. So let me read it that way for you. And forgive us our debts as long as we also have forgiven our debtors. How many of you love this prayer now? <laughs> what do you mean as long as? There's conditions? God gives conditions? This is the part where I go, surely not, Lord. You don't know what they did. Like you don't realize how that affected me. You don't, you don't realize like what I've carried and how it's affected years later my marriage or my kids or my grandkids. You have no idea what that cost our family financially when they did that to me, when they released me like that, when they said, when they accused me, you, you have no idea what the domino effect was of that. It uprooted my entire life. Surely not, Lord, I don't have to forgive them. They ruined me. I mean, if we, we can just keep going. It doesn't matter if, if it was a long time ago or, or yesterday. The wounds that people create in us, it is so much harder to forgive the liabilities that others have done to us. It is so much harder to forgive those liabilities than it is to ask God to forgive our own liabilities. We're quick to receive grace. And then even as a people, even as a church, especially as an American church, what I would say is we're very slow of extending that same grace and love and mercy and forgiveness to those that actually wrong us. Jesus' prayer built into it says, God, you forgive us as long as we forgive others. And if you say, that's a stretch, I don't read it that way. I don't like that interpretation. That's fine. I planned on that. Let me read the two verses after the Lord's Prayer. Verse 14, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Are you with me? Jesus is pretty adamant about this. And here, here's why because there's a gift to be had here. There's a way of doing life here. There's an outcome that Jesus is after for his people and for his followers and for the world that they will then be sent out to. There is a different outcome if we actually live this out personally and then corporately than the world could come up with on its own. 
What our world's decided is eye for eye, tooth for tooth, wound for wound, pain for pain, death for death. That's how we've lived, that's how we've built our world, and eventually that will lead to more pain, more death, more wrongdoing. What God offers us is forgiveness with the purpose of forgiveness. And it's so stinking hard. Most of my life, I find myself buried in the middle of needing forgiveness and then needing to forgive someone who actually wronged me. That's where I live 99% of my life. Needing forgiveness personally, and then also needing to relinquish the debt, the sin, the pain, the brokenness that others have thrust upon me. Can you relate? When I was growing up, I really had a broken relationship with my dad. Uh, I'm the oldest child, and now that I'm a parent, I get this. Uh, your first kid, you have no idea what you're doing, right? Can I get an amen from parents, grandparents, step-parents, any, any parents in the room? You go, yep, no idea with the first one. You just kind of try, and you're like, I hope I don't ruin your life, but I'm going to do my best with you. <laughs> well, growing up, you know, when you're the guinea pig, you don't think that's funny. Like, we just chuckle that. You go, yeah, it's awful. And uh, my family moved a number of different times, and I have a personality that's honestly a lot like my dad. And I'm sure this is true in your family. Like people that are a lot like you, what's funny is you would think you'd get along better and then you just don't. It's like two sides of the same magnet. My dad and I did this. The older I got, the more it happened, the more serious it became, the more painful it became. And my dad's method of punishment because of my personality, because of how, how aggressive I could be sometimes or how oppositional or defiant or rebellious, whatever it is, my dad was gonna crush that opposition. And so he did it by taking whatever I loved most or whatever mattered most to me. And it led to this silencing. I mean, in seconds, whatever punishment for whatever small crime I had committed would be so drastically overdone. And the intent was to silence me, to shut me down. And it happened over and over and over and over and over again. It created such distance and brokenness and pain between my dad and I. The relationship between us dissolved. So for years, here's what I did. I blamed him. He's the bad guy. He's the villain. Didn't matter what context I was in. Didn't matter if I'm teaching a Bible study or talking about it with extended family or f close family. Didn't matter what it was. Here was my narrative. He's the villain. Here's what he did. Here's how he wronged me. And you know what? There was a lot of stuff I was right. But the narrative over and over and over was him, 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 him. And it led to such a... a I don't even want to call it a relationship. There, there was no relationship there, and I'm going to own that. And here's why. I showed up. I was in a counselor's office about two years ago, and there was stuff going on in my life that was coming up, and I, I was going back on when I was younger, this happened, and this is why, and this is why my attitude's that way. This is why I can't trust people this way. This is why this comes up. And he goes, you know what, David? Let's make a list. I said, let's make a list. So he starts articulating everything I'm writing. He did that and he did that. Oh yeah, he's feeding it, right? Yeah, and what, tell me more about that. Yep, he makes this big old list and he hands it and he goes, all right, can you forgive him for that? And I'd worked on forgiving him, letting him go, right? Just like this prayer articulates, I'd worked on that for years. And I went, you know what? You're right, I, I forgave him and I picked it back up. I can forgive him again. And then he did this. He goes, okay, now let's talk about you. I said, I don't think we're running out of time. And he goes, no, I want to talk about you. What did you do to your dad when he did this stuff to you? How did you talk about him 
when he wasn't in the room? How did you treat him? Were you respectful or were you disrespectful? What did you say to your other family members? What, what did you say to other people? What, what image did you depict of your dad? Did you, did you violate even one of the 10 commandments of honoring your father and mother? Did you violate that? I mean, we, we start writing through this list of all this stuff that I had done that I'd never confessed, never admitted, never owned, never anything. We get this huge list and he looks at it, right? Rips it up, gives it a nice little note card version for me. And he hands it to me and he says, you need to go ask your dad for forgiveness for what you did to him. I fired him. <laughs> And I was like, I'm done with you. This plan stinks. My life's been better ever since. Never saw him again. I'm just kidding. It's a joke. I took it and I went, this stinks. Are you kidding me? There's this piece that I started feeling of like the shame and the guilt. And like, what, if I own that, I can't take it back. If I actually say this to his face, what's he going to say back to me? Like, he doesn't know some of this. This is going to destroy our relationship. Any hope that I have for a reconciliation, this is going to kill it for sure. You know what? Two months later, as I sat with it, thought about it, talked to my wife about it, wrestled through, I mean, deep inner wrestling. I had the opportunity. Uh, my parents came in. We were celebrating one of my kids' birthdays. And all of a sudden, I like looked up about halfway through and everybody had moved into the kitchen except me and my dad and my brother. And now I know God's going, your brother's your witness. You can't just make this a good sermon story. He's there to verify. And you know what? I, I did it. I looked him in the eye and I said, I, I did some stuff that you just don't know about. Here's how I talked about you. Here's how I wronged you. Here's what I did behind your back. And I'm really sorry. And I, I'm shooting so straight with you today. That was the pivot point of the start of a totally new relationship that I have with him. And in fact, he actually moved towards me. He goes, David, there's some stuff I regret also some of the ways I treated you and even punishment and stuff like that, I probably overreacted. It started a totally new possibility of an ending that was not on the table when we went in. And it's because of this. It's because when we actually forgive, God wants to do something new. Our greatest need and God's greatest gift are the same thing. It's forgiveness of our sins. It's why Jesus attaches our forgiveness of other people's sins against us to God's forgiveness to us so that we understand both sides of the equation. We understand the pain that Jesus went through to make our wrongs right. We understand the cost that Jesus went to the cross with. We actually understand it and how we achieve this forgiveness, how we receive it, how we live into it is different than what the world says. It is through confession. We confess our sin. We own our sin. We attach ourselves to our sin. We say it out loud and we say, I did that. But then we do the second thing, which is different. We confess Jesus over that. We release that. We allow Jesus to be the one that actually steps in and pays the price, pays the penalty for our sin. That's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. First John says it this way, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, if we confess, 
You know, the thing I've been praying for for you as you came in today or as you're watching online or listening later, my desire for you, and I honestly believe it's the Holy Spirit's desire, is that you would experience what forgiveness actually is like with your Heavenly Father. Some of you have something you just need to confess. You have something that you've carried, something that's been heavy, something that you've kept secret, maybe for a year or multiple years or decades or a lifetime, this thing that you hold on to that if you confessed, you are powerless to dictate your own outcome. God actually wants to free you from that. He wants to bless you. He wants you to experience how good he is, how much he loves you, how much he cares for you. He wants you, as you walk out of these doors today, to never walk out the same again. There's this author that that has this quote. It's so well written. His name is Pete Grieg, and he says, you cannot be too bad or too broken or too boring for God's unconditional love, only too proud to acknowledge how desperately you need it. He says, ask and you will receive. I don't want us to leave proud. I don't want us to leave self-righteous. I don't want us to leave ignorant to the fact that we have a deep need for forgiveness that our heavenly father freely offers through the person of Jesus, but it comes through confession. It comes from owning it. Comes from saying it out loud, even if it's only to God himself, to confess our sin That's what 1 John wrote, to confess our sin. If we confess it, Jesus will forgive us. He'll meet us. So for you, let me just ask, what do you need to confess today? What do you need to lay down? Maybe one of your sins is you haven't forgiven someone else in your life. Maybe they've asked you for it. Likely they haven't. It's our responsibility to actually extend that same forgiveness. A refusal to do so is sin in God's eyes. Maybe it's a closeted addiction. Maybe you've been unfaithful. Maybe you've cheated, lied, stolen. Maybe you're dishonest. Something that's just kind of nagged at you. It's bugged you. It's there. You're aware of it. You're like, ah, it'll, it'll go away if I get a, as far away from it as I can. It'll eventually go away. That's not how it works. I think God's deep desires that you would leave today having an encounter with him. Jesus wants to wipe your slate clean. There is no fifth amendment with God. This right against self-incrimination. We're guilty. We show up guilty, broken, indebted, never able to repay. And God goes, I can pay it for you because he loves you, because he wants you, because he has a plan for you and a purpose for you and a life for you and an ending in mind for you and your life that you don't think is possible right now. That's what he offers. So we're, we're going to move into a time together of confession. I'd love to just lead us in a prayer of confessing two things. The first one is sin. Whatever it is you want forgiveness for today, I want you to share that with the Lord as we pray in a second. We're going to take some time. We're going to confess our sin. But the second thing I want to give you the opportunity to do is to confess Jesus. 
that decision that I talked about earlier. You have to decide to confess Jesus means, God, I think, I believe, I know that Jesus is who he said he was, that he was the son of God, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for my sins, for my shame, to wipe away my guilt, to pay off my debt. When I confess Jesus, I confess that I'm gonna follow him. I'm going to live like him. I'm going to lead like him. I'm going to die like him. That's what it means to confess Jesus. I want to give us an opportunity to do that together. So would you bow your heads with me just in prayer? God, we just come before you just as a sinful and broken people. God, every single one of us walked in with something today and that feeling of shame right now that maybe is creeping in the room, that that fear that's coming in, like what, what if I own this? What if I admit this, God? If I admit it to you, what are you gonna make me do with it? God, we, we just pray against that right now in Jesus' name. You haven't given us the spirit of fear. You invite us into your presence fear is eradicated, where shame is eradicated. God, you bring light into darkness. And so right now, God, the thing that we've carried that we need forgiveness for, we just confess it to you right now. We name it, God. We name it right now. stuff that we've done, a lot of stuff that maybe we haven't confessed before, maybe stuff that we didn't even know we carried in with today. But I pray that just even for the rest of this service, that we would continue to just lay down whatever it is that we walked in with today, that we would lay that down at your feet, that we would receive the forgiveness that you would offer, that we'd be free in offering that same forgiveness to others. But God, right now, what we also do is we confess Jesus over our sin. God, we confess that Jesus is Lord of our lives. We confess that Jesus is the one that went to the cross and as he died on that cross and he hung there, his death paid for my sin. There's nothing we can do, God, but you did it for us. It's a free gift that you offer us. So God, uh, we just confess Jesus right now over our sin and over our entire lives pray that you would meet us right now, God, that we would experience you, that we would experience new life because of you. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said together, amen. Well, hey, here's the deal. Uh, If you prayed that prayer, uh, one thing the Bible articulates, it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. So we really believe if you've just confessed Jesus as Lord, you, you will be saved. You'll spend eternity with God in heaven. But one thing that Jesus calls his disciples to do is baptism. In Matthew 28, right before Jesus ascends up into heaven, he looks at all of his disciples and he says, therefore go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So today we're celebrating baptism. If you gave your life to the Lord today for the first time, or if you've given your life to the Lord in the past, maybe it was on Easter, but you haven't yet made the decision, especially as an adult, to be baptized, then we wanna give you the opportunity. We have a couple people that signed up already that are gonna be 
getting baptized today, but if you go, today's the day, I wanna be obedient to God. I wanna be obedient to what he's doing in my heart. Baptism is this outward confession of the inward confession that we have made that Jesus is Lord. So we have a t-shirt for you. We have towels for you. Don't, don't let those be the reasons that you get baptized. Let it be that God did something inside of your heart today that you need to take the next step in obedience and follow Jesus. So if that's you, uh, I'm gonna invite all of us actually right now to stand up. We're gonna worship here in a second. If that's you, would you stand up and move over here to the right side of the stage? And then if you made that decision online, if you made a decision to follow Jesus and if you'd like to get baptized, you can do that at frontlinejr.com slash baptism. If you're local, just drive in. We'll wait for you. We wanna celebrate your baptism and your decision to follow Jesus. So uh, you guys ready to worship and celebrate some baptisms? Yeah. Great, let's worship together and then we'll do that. We hope this message encouraged you to know who God is and who you are in him. If you wanna take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com slash next. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.